0: Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published His videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash c slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now. Today's guest is Kristen Smith, Executive Director of the Blockchain Association and board member of Pack. Welcome, Kristen.
1: Thanks for having me Laura.
0: This week the whole world has been watching the US presidential election. <laughs> yes. It was it, it or it is still currently uh, probably one of the more momentous ones in recent memory if not the most momentous. Yes. And that's, you know, due to many reasons among which are the pandemic, uh historic levels of civic unrest and intense levels of polarization in the country. And I should just let the viewers know, because events are sort of changing in the moment, that we are recording this at around 3 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. And at this moment, it looks most likely that former Vice President Joe Biden will be elected our 46th president. And so I thought it would be good to check in with you on how advocating for the crypto industry will change. But before we actually get to that question... Let's just talk about what it is that both the Blockchain Association and HuddlePack are and what they do.
1: Yes, the Blockchain Association is a trade association based in Washington, D.C. We have 24 member companies and the goal of the organization is to change public policy uh, to benefit the crypto industry. Um, so we work with regulators, we work with lawmakers, sometimes we participate in the court process if, if needed, but we want better public policy. HODL PAC, uh, which I am a board member of, is a different organization. It's, it's a political action committee that is designed to um, bring together donations, um, small and large, across the crypto industry, and in turn, donate those money to congressional candidates that have good stances on crypto issues. Um, another part of Hodelpack is um, in helping to educate the community about what's going on. And um, we're working towards building out more grassroots functionality so that we can have people who want to take action and participate, have um, kind of a constructive, meaningful, organized way for them to do so. So um, Blockchain Association is for crypto companies. Hodelpack is for crypto individuals.
0: And so to the question I'm sure everybody's wondering about, <laughs> yes. um, as for advocating on behalf of the industry or the community, how will that change? And to describe that, why don't you sort of set the baseline by describing how or what that strategy was under the Trump administration and how you think that will change under a potential Biden administration?
1: Yes. Yeah, so you have to remember the, the biggest barrier to getting better policy in Washington is an education barrier. Um, this is a really new, um, emerging, fast emerging space. It's complicated. It's difficult for policymakers to find the time to, to learn the ins and outs of how it works. Um, another challenge we have is that most of you know, your everyday average consumers don't really do much with crypto yet. And, um, so it's not top of mind for most policymakers, but our strategy over the past couple of years has been to grow the base, um, of champions on these issues and work with them to put forth what we think are thoughtful, good solutions, um, Another important piece of what we do is we try to stop bad things from happening, which um, we've succeeded at a couple times on the legislative side, because it's just as important to stop bad things um, than it is to get good things going forward. And uh, what would you know, be an
0: example of that?
1: Well, there have been a couple bills that have been floated um or introduced like uh, the very early version of the managed stable coins or securities act for example you know that would have defined stable coins in a way that it wasn't intended to so you know the spirit of the legislation might might um not have actually been that terrible but the way it was drafted was was um uh would have been very harmful to the industry and so we were able to work with that office get some of those definitions changed but ultimately it it, it stalled and so we we're able to sort of prevent that from going forward. The, um, the, because these are such niche issues for policymakers, we've really had to rely heavily on those who um, have a personal passion for this space. So, you know, Hester Purse, who I know you've interviewed multiple times, Brian Brooks, they have been fantastic allies and champions to have. And having them in those spots has you know, not only have they been able to put forth their own ideas, but they've been able to educate their peers, um, their regulatory regulator peers on on crypto. So, so that that's positive. Um, and in Congress, we have, you know, some good champions that are continuing to put ideas forward. But the reality is it's a long way towards actually getting you know, a big comprehensive legislative Package um, across the finish line. So, as we look to the Biden administration, if, if that is indeed what we're dealing with, I mean, who knows? And anything, anything could change. Um, I, I actually think the combination of a Biden administration with a Republican Senate, which I think is where we're going, but again, that could change too. Um, uh, but those that that is really really good for crypto, and, and there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, the the. The Trump administration is a little bit mixed, right? like, as I mentioned, we have Hester, we have Brian, they're great, uh, but we also have Secretary Mnuchin, who's not a big fan of this space. Uh, we have Trump himself, um we have Jay Clayton, who um has been a skeptic um those are you know Mnuchin and Clayton are appointed by trump um and they they've been standing in the way of getting something done, so as we look at the Biden administration, we're hoping to be able to get educated. Crypto-educated regulators in key positions at the SEC, the CFTC, and the OCC, and doing what we can to try to influence those choices. Um, and and so Biden will play an important role in picking who those people are. But because we have a Republican Senate, those choices I think are going to be much more moderate than they would have if the if the Democrats take the Senate um, under a Democrat-controlled Senate. Then the progressives um, have a little bit more of a, a say in who those those, those people are. But and if, if the Senate Banking Committee is controlled by Pat Toomey and Mitch McConnell's running the Senate floor, those guys are not going to approve of somebody that's too left-wing and, and they're going to need to get some Republican votes for those positions. So I think that's good for crypto because the support we've had from Democrats tends to be those that are a little bit more open to business, that are open to... Um, you know, private sector innovation. And I think that, that that is actually a winning combination and there's potential to get some great some great regulators in, in those key slots.
0: And so for this next administration, what are the main issues that are at the top of both the Blockchain Association and Hodelpac's agendas?
1: So on the defensive side, um, and this is for the Blockchain Association, um, you know, we are very concerned about any, unnecessary regulation of self-hosted wallets or for transfers um, into and out of self-hosted wallets. Uh, there are not specific proposals out there on that right now, but because FATF has has highlighted this and because of what we've been hearing out of some of the senior folks from Treasury, we, we think that this is going to be an issue that we have to watch like a hawk because it goes at the core of what crypto is. And so being being ready to be on the defense for that is, is really important. And and we're working on a report right now that we hope to get out the door, um, in a couple of weeks, um, on that issue. Um, I also think securities law clarity continues to be an issue that we would like to have addressed. It's, um, I don't think it's as urgent as it was when we spoke, you know, I guess it was that a year and a half ago on on this subject, <laughs>
0: something <like> but
1: that. <laughs> yeah, it's, time flies. Um, yeah. but the, um, but that is something that, that I think finding a pathway for projects to raise money on the front end, to give them a period of time, like Hester Purse has proposed, and then to be able to go and, and, um, freely trade that token as a commodity is, is still a really important, um, um, issue that needs to be addressed, and so that that's on our list. Um, there's been a lot of activity on stablecoins. Um, I think that's good for the industry, but more importantly, that is what policymakers are interested in right now. And part of that's driven by China and CBDCs, and and I think getting an appropriate you know fiat backed stablecoin policy in place is going to be important. And we've already seen some good good steps um, by the OCC on that front. And then um, I do think there are some outstanding tax policy issues that need to be addressed. And so, um, you know, those would be maybe our top four. Uh, There's also um, Europe right now is doing quite a bit with spot market regulation. So the U.S. may decide to jump in on that. And what we saw with the Digital Commodity Exchange Act a couple months ago is that there are starting to be some ideas about how to do that here. So there's definitely a lot going on. And a lot of those decisions um, in, in the next couple of years, I think are going to be regulator level decisions. Um, but Congress is still a useful tool because they can put pressure on the reg- regulators. They can signal to the regulators what they would want and what they would do. And so I don't anticipate getting a, a new bill signed into law, but I do anticipate getting some great bills introduced and debated. Um, and hopefully that will influence action, um, at the regulatory level.
0: Oh, it's so fascinating. And there's so much to unpack there. But um, first, uh, we'll take a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. Back to my conversation with Kristen Smith. So you mentioned that stable coins is pretty much at the top of the regulator's agenda. What do you, why would you say that? And what exactly are they looking to do there?
1: I think that it's at the top of their agenda because it's something that they can understand, Um, which is, you know, when you look at the universe of what you can do with crypto networks, um, you know, minting a digital dollar, um, you know, on a blockchain is something they can wrap their heads around. It is really difficult um, to go in and talk about, you know, Orchid being a decentralized VPN or, um, you know, Filecoin being a decentralized storage system. I mean, there's just so many different pieces there that they don't, um, they aren't able to fully wrap their heads around it, but I think because there's so much attention to what's happening in China, um, I think because of um, uh, you know John Carlo's initiative on the digital dollar project is is you know sort of forcing some of these conversations. That when we look at sort of the pure crypto world, I think having having um, you know something like USDC is um, a really good sort of private sector driven. Um, effort to get all of the benefits that we would have with the CBDC, but that's available here and now. And is starting to be um, more widely adopted for different uses. And so I think, you know, for us, we've been able to pivot the CBDC conversation into a conversation about stable coins and getting the right framework around there. Um, Because the reality is the Fed takes a really long time to do things. If you look at their faster payments initiative, uh, their FedNow program, that's been years in the making and isn't done yet. Um, and so I think if we can you know, use American values and the American way of, of private sector innovation to get to some of the same ends, so that we can still keep the dollar strong um, and be competitive with China.
0: And just to go back to the Senate question, I do think you're right. Probably we will end up with a Republican controlled Senate. However, um, at the moment, it, it does look pretty likely that we'll end up in two runoff elections in January. In and that. so those two could potentially change the control of the Senate to the Democrats. And I just wondered if you thought that that would change much of the agenda that you mentioned the regulators or, or Congress is interested in at the moment.
1: Yeah, no, I do. Th- I do think it will change. Um, I mean, I think if, if the Dems take the Senate, then, uh, you know, we may have less friendly regulators in key positions, not necessarily, but um, the odds of getting somebody who um, is more progressive in those spots, um, you know, doesn't necessarily hurt us, but there's a higher likelihood that it does. Um, and, you know, in terms of the legislation that they that Congress could consider is, um, you know, going to be much more significant. I mean, I think that they will have um, a pretty strong agenda that could include, you know, getting more people on the Supreme Court, um, getting new states into in, in seats in the Senate, um, right. raising no, taxes. I, I, so I don't I'm think crypto is going to be first on their list. Oh, oh
0: so you okay? I meant the crypto agenda, but you feel like,
1: yeah, basically, I their
0: attention will just be elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I think their attention will be elsewhere. Um, now we do we do see some um, proposals that are sort of coming up in the House. Um, Rashida Talib's office is looking at a bill that um, I, I think is is well intended, but at the moment, as as defined, would really limit um, the type of entity who could issue a, a dollar back stablecoin Something like that um, would not be good for crypto, um, at least in its current form. And so, what we don't want are these ideas that are sort of um, maybe driven by modern mon- um, modern monetary theory, uh, and you know, sort of the uh, taking banking and making it more public. I think is going to have ramifications for crypto as well. But I don't think that's going to be the top thing on our list, and I don't think that's something that can happen in two years, and and so I think that um, I think that crypto will will be um, you know much lower down down the agenda item the agenda. But if, if something does go, we we don't have the ability to stop it like we would with a, a Republican Senate.
0: And there is one new senator who is a fan of Bitcoin. Yes. at least or at least one new one. There might be others. Cynthia Loomis from Wyoming apparently is, I guess, the first senator to own Bitcoin. I did see some people tweeting, which I also thought like, oh, we thought that Kelly Loeffler would have owned some Maybe but anyway- any
1: Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> uh No, I um no, I, I think Cynthia Loomis is fantastic. I, I actually haven't spoken with her in a long time, but she- she was the congresswoman from Wyoming when I worked for the lone congresswoman or congressman from Montana, and so on occasion, our, our our offices would get together, and she would come over with what she called a Wyoming five pack, which was basically a six pack of beer with one missing, and to bring it to the congressman I worked for. So she is down to earth. She is really smart, and she is a huge fan of Bitcoin. And I, having somebody like that in the Senate is Great. Um, I'm eager to see what committees assignments she would get. Um, you know, she. You know, sometimes uh, states like Wyoming are interested in the Agriculture Committee, which would be great because the Agriculture Committee has jurisdiction over the CFTC, and so there are a lot of good things we could work with her there on um, if she goes to the. The Finance Committee, which typically freshmen don't get assigned to the Finance Committee. That's kind of an A-level committee, but that would have jurisdiction over tax policy. Um, And then the Senate Banking Committee, you know, Wyoming is uh, very innovative on that front. And, um, you know, that might be a desirable position for her as well. So senators typically get anywhere between three and five committees. And so I'm super eager to see where she lands because I've got a lot of ideas for her when she shows up.
0: And recently, we have seen um, some antitrust action from Congress, uh, such as with Google. And I wondered, do legislators have an awareness of how something like Web3 could potentially address these monopoly type issues, or do they tend to lump crypto-, crypto in with big tech?
1: They don't lump crypto in with big tech, but there is still a disconnect between seeing crypto as sort of a solution to big, big tech. Um, We've early on in particular, this was um, kind of the core of our messaging was that, hey, crypto is going to come along and it's going to fix everything you hate about the Internet. Where we started to run into problems was with Libra, um, because when Facebook came in, all of a sudden big tech was affiliated with with. Crypto and we, I think, did a pretty good job of separating the two. But um, I think there's still some confusion on how we could have these crypto networks that are, you know, these sort of um, organic competitors to to what we see in that space. That you know, maybe treat privacy differently than than big tech does. That are more secure. I mean, there, there are a lot of like wonderful, wonderful sort of theoretical or not theoretical in the case of like Filecoin. Um, um, alternatives to big tech, but it's, there is a disconnect. Uh, Make Delrahim, who is the, uh, the, the man in charge of antitrust policy at DOJ, gave a speech on it recently. And I think he is starting to see that there are some opportunities there, but this kind of goes back to our earlier conversation. Most members of Congress um, and maybe sort of average regulators aren't yet wrapping their head around that piece of it. It's just a little bit too, it requires a little bit too much imagination and, and too much background for them to, to make that connection. But I think that over time that that will start to shift and, and we can see, um, you know, crypto as part as a solution um, and, and not a problem.
0: The crypto industry also maybe is not even fully aligned with itself or within itself about how to approach (laughs) compliance and regulation. Mm -hmm. For instance, after Binance U.S. joined the Blockchain Association, Coinbase left and Forbes recently wrote an article saying that perhaps Binance U.S. might have been set up as a decoy for U.S. regulators. And of course, as I'm sure you're well aware, Coinbase has this longstanding reputation for being one of the most compliant exchanges. Although, of course, it also does pushback against overreach, such as when the U.S. the IRS tried to make a broad request on all its users' transactions over a three-year period. Um, but I wondered, what are the main divisive issues within the crypto industry that need to be resolved when it comes to how it approaches regulators?
1: Yeah, no, that that's a great question. Um, I, I think that for most companies operating in the U.S., that at least the ones that I have dealt with in 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 my universe, they do want to comply. Um, and, and part of why they work with the blockchain association is they want to get more clarity on when they need to comply. Right. I mean, I I think that, you know, if you don't want to, to deal with that, you don't operate in the U S which is I think what most people, um, do. Um, it's really hard to get all the key people in a room I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, you know, I think that there are a lot of rivalries that you know, whether it be you know, primarily I think with the exchanges, but um, you know, there are rivalries, competitive rival- rivalries that are getting in the way of having substantive policy conversations. I, I think that's starting to shift. Um, I think that as um, you know, some of these companies are building out their teams and bringing in um, you know, sort of seasoned general counsels. Um, there's this understanding that, that they're going to have to to work together. I, I don't think it's as closely coordinated as it needs to be to win. And the reality is we're not going to get anything super positive until there is agreement on a strategy. And whether that be, um, hey, like we all want to be regulated as banks under some sort of special bank charter, or we want to expand the CFTC jurisdiction to play – a greater role, or we need to create a self-regulatory organization that is kind of, you know, running point on, on regulating the space. I think there's still disagreement on that. And, um, but I'm hopeful in the months ahead that we can get the key people sitting down um, you know they don't have to be a member of the blockchain association to do this. So I'm always accepting, you know, applications for new members for me to pass along to the board because um, the board decides membership, not me. But um, the the I think that that it's really important to work together because we are so small compared to most industries that are operating in Washington that that the nuances of of you know the rivalries are just really. Like lost on those policymakers. like They just want to see kind of a unified position. And so it's incumbent upon us to to develop that um, and push that forward. So we, we still have a ways to go on that.
0: And last question, with the news about PayPal integrating cryptocurrencies, there's been increased noise about the need for a de minimis tax exemption. And I <laughs> wondered if that was something that the Blockchain Association or HODL Pack is advocating for and what you thought the odds were that such a thing would be passed.
1: Yeah, no, I think that um, that is something that the Blockchain Association supports. We um, got legislation, uh, worked very closely with Coin Center to get that introduced last year. Um, I think that it, it looks like uh, Dave Schweikert is probably going to get reelected, who's the lead Republican on that bill, and um, the lead Democrat, Susan Delvene, was also elected. So I think getting that reintroduced is important. Um, the problem with tax policy is. Um, it tends to get done in packages. And so there needs to be some sort of tax bill moving to attach something like that to. Um, It would also be helpful to get something introduced on the Senate side so that there's kind of agreement between both chambers when they get to negotiations around a tax package. So there's more groundwork to be done there. Um, I think it would, um, I think it, I think it's an important step. I think there's some other tax issues that need to be addressed as well um, around crypto lending, around treatment of staking rewards. and you know those are other issues that we're going to be looking at. But and you know from the Hodel Pack perspective, um, what what's the beauty of Hodel Pack is that those are individuals, and so they um, can support and vote for champions um, in in Congress or candidates that have different positions on different issues. So HODLPAC Pack itself doesn't take positions, but the contributions will go towards those candidates that that um, have favorable positions. So it's, it's a very much a a, a very open sort of community governed process there.
0: Okay. Interesting. Maybe it's something where you guys could Use like quadratic voting to decide. <laughs>
1: we do use quadratic <laughs> oh, voting, <really>? actually. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what that was until recently, but yeah, yeah. we um, yeah, we actually on Hodelback, we we just held our our first community ballot right before the election, and um, you know, people who wanted to participate in determining where the contributions would go would do so by using Hodel votes, which. Um, was um, you know you would receive a token and then you would vote with their tokens and um, you know a few people in the DC world had to download MetaMask's MetaMask wallets to like participate for the first time but it was um, yeah there was a lot of cool experimentation going around around there but the the idea being that. Um, you know, most political action committees have, um, you know, a committee or a single person that sort of determines, okay, we're going to, you know, support these people and, you know, give them contributions. And HODL Pack is really opening that up uh, to kind of a community vote, which is really, really cool.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. I love it. I love it that you guys are already using this technology in really interesting ways. Um, all right. Well, we will see what happens with the elections. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm I know. sure we'll have you back again to talk about how it's going once, um, you know, whatever the changeover is, whatever that ha- whatever that is. Yeah, um, no, I
1: definitely think there, there are definitely going to be some changes. Um, I think we have um, some good opportunities and I think we're in a position to play defense when we need to play defense. So I think 2021 and 2022 are going to be um, exciting years for crypto policy.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thanks, Laura. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline. $1 billion in Silk Road Bitcoin seized by the U.S. On Tuesday, 69,369 Bitcoins worth almost $1 billion had been moved out of a wallet associated with a Silk Road Marketplace, sparking speculation around who might be behind the activity. The wallet had held, until the move, the fourth highest balance of Bitcoin on any address. That mystery was solved Thursday when the Department of Justice announced what they are calling, quote, the largest seizure of cryptocurrency in the history of the agency. DOJ has seized and is seeking forfeiture of 69,370 Bitcoins and an equal number of Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin SV, and Bitcoin Cash. And the bitcoins had been allegedly hacked from the Silk Road by a person they refer to as Individual X, who has now signed a consent and agreement to forfeiture with the U.S. Attorney's Office. U.S. Attorney David Anderson said in a statement that after the prosecution of Silk Road founder Ross Ulbricht in 2015, a billion dollar question remained regarding what had happened to the market's stash of money. Anderson said, Today's forfeiture complaint answers this open question at least in part. $1 billion of these criminal proceeds are now in the United States' possession. Next headline, election news roundup. While all eyes were on the U.S. presidential election this week, the crypto and blockchain industry participated in its own way. For the first time in history, the Associated Press has been posting election results on the Ethereum and EOS blockchains. The AP is also using the blockchains in its own application programming interface, or API which enables anyone wanting to view official AP results to verify the accuracy by calling up the blockchain data. The AP voting data has also been published to Everipedia, a blockchain-based version of Wikipedia built using Chainlink. The AP's use of these networks is the most extensive use of blockchain technology in elections to date. Prediction markets also made waves this election with estimates that crypto exchange FTX would collect as much as $1 million in fees from election betting on its platform. Both FTX and Polymarket offered traders the opportunity to place bets on the winner of the presidential election, and volumes surged in these markets leading up to election day. In other FTX-related election news, founder Sam Bankman-Fried is counted among the top donors to Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, Having contributed more than $5 million to the former vice president's campaign. Finally, as voters across the U.S. prepared to cast ballots, CME Group's Bitcoin futures market hit a record, with overnight trading on election eve reaching 6,700, the equivalent of 33,500 Bitcoin in value. The number of large reportable interest holders throughout October also increased 20%, leading up to election night. The discussion around blockchains and elections hasn't stopped there, though. Binance CEO Chengpeng Zhao posted on Twitter that a blockchain-based mobile voting app could have prevented the days of vote Americans have been enduring. Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, chimed in that although, quote, the technical challenges around a secure cryptographic voting system are significant, the potential is there for such a system to one day be implemented. In my personal opinion, the main issues here are, of course, identity and security, and I'm pretty sure those will not be resolved as CZ implied they would be within four years. Next headline, Bitcoin flirts with 15 k On Thursday, Bitcoin surpassed $15,000 for the first time since January 2018, a symbolic milestone for Bitcoin bulls who have been rallying since October. Activity on the Bitcoin blockchain had been steadily increasing since mid-October. In addition to greater network activity, October was a big month for Bitcoin options, with open interest reaching an all-time high. Next headline, Ethereum 2.0 Phase 0 launch is imminent. In preparation for the arrival of Ethereum 2.0, the deposit address for ETH2 was released on Wednesday the address allows future staking participants to prepare their funds for the Beacon Chain, aka the phase zero launch of Ethereum 2.0. According to a blog post from the Ethereum Foundation, the earliest potential date for ETH2's genesis is December 1st, depending on how soon the required amount of ETH is deposited by staking participants. Next headline. PayPal CEO says demand was almost triple expectations. During its Q3 earnings call, PayPal CEO Daniel Schulman discussed the company's plans around crypto, saying, quote, This is just the beginning of the opportunities we see as we work hand-in-hand with regulators to accept new forms of digital currencies. Although crypto functionality is only available to 10% of PayPal customers, the waiting list demand has been two to three times what the company expected. While some speculate that PayPal is gearing up to support central bank digital currencies, Shulman's only comment on CBDCs was, quote, From my perspective and all my conversations, CBDCs are a matter of when and how they're done, not if. Next headline, BitMEX officials accused of looting $440 million from the exchange. A civil lawsuit is alleging that leadership of HDR Global, which is the parent company of crypto derivatives exchange BitMEX, withdrew $440 million once they learned about investigations and pending charges from U.S. regulators and law enforcement. Last month, DOJ charged the exchange and its executives with violations of the Bank Secrecy Act, arresting one. And at the same time, there was an enforcement action by the Commodities Futures Exchange Commission. The allegations were part of an October 30th court filing as part of a lawsuit that has been ongoing since May, which accuses the co-founders Arthur Hayes, Ben Dello, and Samuel Reed of money laundering and market manipulation. A spokesperson for HDR Global told the blog that the accusations are part of, quote, a series of increasingly spurious claims against us and others in the cryptocurrency sector. We will deal with this through the normal litigation process and remain entirely confident the courts will see his claims for what they are. Next headline. Coin Center files comment on proposed $250 travel roll threshold. In a comment recently filed to the Federal Reserve Board and to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, Coin Center argued against a lowered threshold for the travel rule, which would require anti-money laundering checks being applied to transactions as small as $250. The advocacy group's argument is that what it calls the, quote, imposition of these surveillance obligations would be intrusive to individual privacy. Additionally, the organization points out that the current travel rule threshold of $3,000 would have been equivalent to $20,000 in 1971, the year that a court case found the Bank Secrecy Act constitutional. However, the proposed $250 threshold would have been the equivalent of $40 in 1971. Coin Center also opposes the $250 threshold because it says, quote, the constitutionality of today's application of the Bank Secrecy Act is unknown because we have yet to see a challenge of the regime as it exists. Time for fun bits. The European Central Bank wants your thoughts on a digital euro. The ECB is conducting a survey on a potential digital euro. If you want to participate, you'll have to go into the show notes to find the link but be prepared, they want your information first and then they'll email, email you the link to the survey. And there's a second fun bits. I'm calling this one, at least it's not a child's name. Twitter user William Eden had this to say about the Silk Road forfeiture case this week. And hopefully, hopefully I will be able to say this entire tweet. He says, my new favorite court case title... U.S. versus approximately 69,370 Bitcoin, Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin SV, and Bitcoin Cash seized from one hq 3 go 3 ggs 8 pfnxuhvhrytpcq 5 P C Q five F, G, G, 8 H-B-H. All right, I did it. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to learn more about Kristen, the Blockchain Association, HODLPAC, and the other topics we discussed. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes of this episode. And don't forget, we are now on YouTube. Subscribe to the Unchained Podcast YouTube channel today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Bossy Baker, Shashank, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.